do you obsess over barbecue? Or maybe you're just getting started and want to learn more. Light up the pit and join me, Kurt Mueller, lifelong barbecue fanatic and competitor on the pro circuit as I have the most passionate people in barbecue from pit masters to restaurant owners. Join me on the show, sharing their barbecue journey, their unique tips, tricks, timelines, and techniques that will make sure your barbecue gets better every time you fire up that grill or pit. Welcome to The Barbecue Life. All right, welcome into today's show. I'm your host, Kurt Mueller of the Barbecue Life Podcast. We're powered by Hound Hogs BBQ Supply. You can check out those guys on Facebook, Instagram at Hound Hogs BBQ Supply and on the web at houndhogsbbqsupply.com. So I want to welcome in the pitmaster and owner of Elite Barbecue Smokers. He's based out of Conway, South Carolina, Mr. Jason Hardy. Jason, thanks for joining us, sir. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me on. And for our listeners, you know, Jason is a big, big, big uh, proponent of all things barbecue. He's even got his own show called Barbecue Roundtable. That airs 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday nights, and you can check that out on all the social media platforms. He's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, at Elite Barbecue Smokers. So make sure that you're checking out his show because Jason's got a lot of good guests on there pretty much every single week. So uh, he's got it going on. Like we always do, let's start with journey though. I love talking about this barbecue journey, right? Because everybody's got a good story of how they got into this crazy, crazy world of competition barbecue. So what's your story, Jason? So 2008 and 2009, I had old dairy barn here at the house. And we were tearing part of it down, kind of getting stuff out. And I found this 1954 milk vat. This thing was 42 inches by seven feet long. Big old milk vat. So we had this milk vat and we was taking it out. And it was solid stainless steel insulated because it was basically we used to have milk before the pasteurization laws come into effect. And that's what family had old dairy farm. And so we were out there and me and some guys working for me like, they didn't want to throw it away. We had, couldn't figure out what to do with it. So I had a bright idea of let's making this thing a grill. Well, being me, anybody knows me knows that I never, never do anything small. Everything's got to be just boom over the top. And so we decided to take this thing. We had two lids open up on there. And back then, that was before we got to come to this barbecue. Yeah, we had put front burners in the bottom of it. So I had basically two hog cookers. I could cook two hogs at one time on it. And that thing would go low and slow. And that was old propane. That was old Carolina propane style, style grill. It'd go low and slow at 225. Or that bad boy would run 750. I cooked steaks on it. It was just crazy. And then we done that. And then we kind of got the bug into barbecue. And we found some old propane tanks, built some stick burners out of it. Um, and about that time, barbecue uh, pitmaster show got on TV. We started kind of getting into that. And we started watching those shows and just started cooking around the house, playing around with it. And I seen a little SCBA contest, South Carolina Barbecue Association, had a contest that came into hometown Conway, right there on the river, pretty contest. And so 2010, we decided that we was going to venture out there because we had really good barbecue. We had the best barbecue in the world. Nobody could ever beat, a, beat our barbecue. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we signed up for the contest and going to come out here and do it and had a good time doing it. And we got 13th. And I remember looking back at the thing, I was so mad because we didn't win a contest. And this was a long time ago. And I just turned to 
bunch of pulled pork, drop it in the box, turn it in, figure it was a win contest. Knowing what I know now, I'm lucky to come in dead last. But back then, we were cocky and didn't know no better. And so we kind of done that and kind of got a bug. And we started doing an SCBA contest, traveling over the state, and just kind of fell in love with just meeting the people. And progression from that, we've kind of we done a contest at a church one time. And it was so cold out there. The stick runners was using wood at the time. I had ran out of wood cooking the pork for the contest. It was just a pork mm -hmm. contest. Ran out of wood completely. It was yeah. so cold that that's, that little propane steak, stick burner I built was just eating through the wood like it wasn't nobody's business. Right. And I said, it's the last time I ever do a contest without an insulated smoker. And so we went from there. And at that time, we were going underneath the name Hardy Boys Barbecue. Mm -hmm. That was our first our first team we had there's a facebook page page on there if anybody wants to find it you'll see some interesting stuff so we started from there and kind of decided that to start building smokers and we was going to build smokers and sell smokers because me just want to go out there and build it instead of just buying it and so we started building some insulated smokers and that's when we changed the name to elite barbecue smokers and we got into competition kcbs to sell smokers and what we found out was that without being a production shop and uh, having a big outfit or and having full-time jobs, it was just not feasible to maintain that. And so we just decided just to stick it to competition and just do competition barbecue. So that's the origin story. And there we are. So basically kicked it off in 2010, you know, literally with the homemade, homemade cooker probably. Right. And then uh, the journey is just taking to, to where you are now, you know, now you're uh, competing uh, with KCBS. Are you still doing SCBAs as well? No. Uh, so a funny story with SCBA. Um, that's where we kind of got into it and I loved it and I won a few contests with it, but they have got aroma over impression part of their scoring system. Mm -hmm. And that just drove me absolutely crazy. And when we got in KCBS contest, we, we started doing KCBS for multiple reasons to sell smokers, a national footprint. And also the thing is at the time, SCBA was just doing just only pork. Yep. And so we feel we do KCBS and SBN and you have multiple chances to do other categories and do decent. If you drop one ball, you can basically pick up the ball for the rest of them. And so that's kind of what we was looking at. And I haven't done an SCBA in a number of years, uh, mm -hmm. but my trailer is not necessarily right now designed for SCBA contests. I showed it the last one and they looked at me like, you can't park that here. So interesting. So, so it's too big. Yeah, so we're our trailer we carry right now is a our most time we cook out of is a forty foot toy hauler. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a big RV, and a lot of times the SCBA contest was made for my uh, little small trailers for the center downtown and stuff, and they don't have the, the space for the big RVs. Right. Whereas KCBS tends to be a little more set up for the big RVs. I'm curious at what point you mentioned you got the bug early on, tried to you know tried to sell some smokers, found out probably not going to work. So just stuck to the competing, you know, you had a name change along the way as well uh, to where you are now. When you came to the realization, Hey, we're not going to be able to do the smoker thing anymore. And we're just going to stick to the competition side. What was the mindset like when you finally realized, okay, I'm going all in with the, with the competition side. Well, a couple of things have was going on. One of the things when I was doing barbecue, we started, uh, I think 2000. 11 2012 we started doing barbecue church at contests mm -hmm. so everywhere contest we went to me or somebody else um kind of host barbecue church 
And it got to be where I was doing quite a few of them because a couple of guys that were doing it kind of backed out of barbecue for multiple reasons. And so we were being part of barbecue church all over every contest we went to. And we just started kind of doing that. And then when I decided to step away from building the smoker side of it, um, it actually freed up some more time on the side. And I was able to come out here and do some of my side work because I was doing some drafting and engineering work on the side. And that was kind of helped funding my hobby. As long as my house payment money wasn't fun, fun to barbecue, then my hobby money is fun to barbecue. We've kind of done that. And at the time, I had kind of gotten away from hardcore hunting and fishing and stuff. And so... I just wanted something to do, and this was something that me and my wife could do together, and we could travel and see different parts of the country. And with KCBS, it was kind of a out branching into different areas, and so we were able to go out there and just meet some amazing people and just see different parts of the country. It just it's crazy. Had a blast doing it. Having a blast doing it. I was going to say uh, present present tense there, right? Not past tense. Present yeah. tense there. I love listening to the journey and just where you know how does how how all of this you know, came to be. And it's, it's interesting because you said one word that I hear pretty much every time on, on my show, and you probably hear it too on yours and that is people. Yeah. Right. It's a theme that continually comes up. And from your standpoint, you know, you've been in the, you've been in the game, you know, quite a long time. Right. What about, what about the people, right? What, what about the people that, that make this, this crazy world of competitive barbecue? What about the people is, is so special in your mind? Well, to, to really get that, I want to back up a minute here. So growing up, I was, like I said, I used to do a lot of hunting and fishing and stuff. And I still do some of it, but I used to do hardcore hunting and fishing. But at that time, we used to do a lot of deer driving, which dogs and stuff and everything else. And so what would happen is at lunchtime, everybody come gather at the cabin at, during the middle of the day, and we'd always eat together and just tell stories together. And after the hunts, we'd do the same thing. That's what we used to always do with that. And when we got a little more away from the dog driving – and went more towards still the still hunting and stuff here. That lost that. I can't we the whole group kind of lost that dynamic because everybody was going hunting, going home, going hunting, going home. And so that was I love the stories because I could hear these old timers tell stories that was just coolest stories in the world. And that's that's why I loved about the hunting and fishing side. It was just the stories. Right. And so when we kind of got out of that, I got married and started doing barbecue and got to hear these stories and hear some of these again have a, a relationship with guys in a sense and having conversation with it i remember the first not first time i remember one of the best stories was though i was doing a contest in myrtle beach and i was new i mean i was sitting there trying to figure out what in the world is this flavor profile didn't understand that. at the time i was making my own rubs i was making my own sauces i was trying to do everything myself because i had no knowledge about the process mm-hmm. and donnie bray warren kind choppers and he was leading the points that year and he won several years in a row and I was asking a few questions, and he gave me a bottle of Smoking Guns Hot. So here you go. Try this. And I think we ended up doing pretty decent that day. But that was the situation was that these guys are willing to help you. Mm-hmm. And I was, when I got into that, I could start relating to that and got people start coming to me and asking questions. It got better and better over the years. That's where I always said, man, it's just the people is just amazing. Best friends you ever make some barbecue. I mean, it is truly some of the best people you ever meet and best friends you ever have in barbecue from all over the place. Every different walk of life, too. That's exactly right. Yeah, especially at the, uh, you know, some of these festivals here that, you know, that we do uh, regionally in Georgia and South Carolina, you know, being able to hang out with the barbecue folks, being able to chat with people and and answer questions and just engage, I think, 
is really fun for me. I'm not, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, but I would assume having your own show, you know, you, you're a people guy, you know, I, I would, I would imagine that, you know, you, you enjoy connecting with some of the public and answering their questions. Uh, unless I'm dead wrong, you know, maybe you might oh, say, no. well, <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of it. So we're good. And that's a, that's a question that I wanted to uh, touch on briefly. And that has to do with, you know, the engagement with the public and this, this idea that, you know, we as teams need to do what we can to encourage that and to, and to make them feel welcome. And obviously I know this can be a very hot topic and uh, you have a lot of different schools of thought. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it, uh, but I do think it makes for an interesting discussion. And, and I'm curious just from your side, because you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, you know, we're two, we're not, we're not even two years into it. Um, and you've been doing it for, you know, 13, 12, 13 years. But from your side, what can we as teams do proactively, you know, over the long term to really, well, twofold, really bring bring more value to the to the content to the festival organizers, you know, help them understand our value, and then secondly, engage with the public more, you know, get get more get more get the public excited about barbecue again, like the pitmaster years. Well, so I was part of the group that organized the Rufus Teague series during mm-hmm. COVID. So I was one of the ones that kind of put that system together. So I organized on a 30 some plus contest. I remember when COVID started and I know a little off topic what you got, but we'll come back to what your question is. But when COVID first started, we was doing a Darlington contest. We had a Darlington contest lined up. I had a public involved. I had bands. We had Ferris reels. We had everything lined up. And I had people, we had people sitting at the racetrack getting ready to go in on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I got the phone call at 12 o'clock on Thursday that said, NASCAR shut down everything at all race car tracks across the whole country. So I had people coming for that rate for that event all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so we had to sit there and scramble around and we actually called it plan B and relocate the whole contest somewhere else mm-hmm. down the road. And so that was kind of a big deal to move it down there. And that's where the people got into it. But, and so we had it set up for the public. We had it set up for the public matter involved in it. We had it set up, for the, the people come out here and taste samples of barbecue and all that. But one of the things that I think that to get that kind of public involvement, it takes a lot of advertising. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of free or whatever, but you've got to get the word out that you're going to have public involvement to a contest. Now, if you go to an established festival, it's a little bit easier to do that because it's an established festival. If you're trying to create something from scratch, trying to get the public involved in something other, it is in its own right, a very challenging task to happen. So the teams giving out samples of barbecue is not going to be the solution to get public involvement. All right. So you're, you're not going to do that Um, as much as you would love for that to be the case. It's not. Now, if you have public involvement there and then you can get the samples of barbecue there to give out to the teams, I mean, give out to the public. Now all of a sudden you can have that public interaction, Mm -hmm. but, I've been at contests and told I've been food for people's choice and everything else. And we cooked, I remember one contest, we cooked so many wings and I got food with it. I probably didn't give out a pound of wings. Mm-hmm. Just they brought the wings, give us the wings, we cooked the wings and for big public involvement and nobody showed up. So it's not necessarily just one part as far as we got to cook food for public and choice, people's choice. And that's going to bring people in. No, it's not. We've got to get people there and it's going to be a public involvement from advertising, public involvement from an establishment. And I've said this, and I've firsthand knowledge about this. When somebody asked me about putting on a barbecue competition, 
I'll say, well, what's your goals? Mm-hmm. And they look at me funny. I said, what's your goals? I mean, we're not talking about anything else. Just talking about just from a goal perspective, what is your goals? If your goals is to bring awareness to a cause, bring awareness to something other, then a barbecue competition is absolutely makes sense. We can rock and roll. If your job is to make money, then having a standalone barbecue competition is not going to work. Now, you can get sponsors, you can get other people to come involved, and that helps out in situations. But if you want to make money, then a barbecue competition is not going to be that. Now, if you take this barbecue competition and use it in conjunction with a festival, use it in conjunction with some other things to raise money, maybe bring awareness, it'll grow. But it's not going to grow the first year. It's not going to grow the first three years. It's going to take it a period of time building up upon itself and exponentially. And then all of a sudden, now you get to the point that instead of you going to asking a sponsor for money, they're calling you up and say, hey, can I be a sponsor for your event? At that time, then you can start making money. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, there, there it's there's no secret that um, if the objective is to make money and it's purely a competition, you're going to be very, very hard-pressed to, to – you're going to be disappointed. It's just not going to happen. And I And I love what you said. I think you're one of the first guests that's brought up a really great point, and that is, you know, Everybody talks about people's choice. Everybody talks about, you know, hey, we can just give, you know, give out some food, which I understand it. I get that concept. It, to me, it comes across as a really lazy answer, in my opinion, um, because, you know, it's, it's like you said, you know, just simply us giving out food. If people don't even know about the festival, if they don't know about the event, it doesn't matter how much food you give out <laughs> they're, if they're not there, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, that brings up a really good point, And that goes back to the marketing of it, the branding of it. And I also think expectations. I think there's a lot of folks out there that don't really fully grasp or have realistic expectations, especially for a first year event. They, they, you know, think it's going to be this awesome thing and it very well may be, but a lot of times it's, it's not, it, it takes that, you know, two to three years, like, like you talked about to build that up. Otherwise, you know, again, you're just, you're just not going to have the, the participation that, that you're looking for. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I was expanding upon it even more. And I would say that every team out there, every team, every judge, everybody associated with barbecue needs to go and be part of a team of organizing contests. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about being into it. I'm talking about being into it from the conception, being into it from the advertising perspective, being into it from begging teams to come, being into it from begging judges to show up, being into it running the, the judging booth, to run the scoring system, just comment cards, and to seeing the money seeing where all that money goes. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then all of a sudden you can come back out and you'd be like, hmm, this is a lot more complicated than it is because I'm a team. And I'm, I'm first one to tell you, I enjoy coming to competing contests. And I also know how it is just saying, show up here on the Thursday or Friday, set up here, cook the food, go home on a Saturday or Sunday and get your feelings hurt or come home a winner or a heat or a loser, whatever you want to be. <laughs> And only thing we're focusing on, okay, I spent this much money in food. I spent this much money in rubs and sauces. I spent this much money in gas, this much time to do this. This is a cook process. This we got done and we go home and that's all we see. We're sitting there with blinders on. We're just seeing this one perspective right here. And that's our perspective. Organizers, they see in their perspective, their blinders in their ball game. A judge is seeing theirs in their ball game. Everybody's seeing with the blinders. And I, and I totally understand that. And I'm the first one to admit that. But you kind of need to look at it from the whole perspective mm-hmm. and say, okay, look at this thing as a whole. And when you have been involved with all those aspects of it, even come out there and just judging contests. Just go out there and judge a contest and just taste the food and get an idea that kind of getting a little bit off track with that. But 
perfect example is judging food. I have gotten scores before and done very well in a category that I had no business doing well in a category. <laughs> and I have gotten killed in the category that I deserve to win the category. I mean, Lawrence, a couple of years ago, I got three top five calls and brisket was dead in the water. I don't think it was that bad, but it is what it is. But then again, I've gotten a top call and didn't deserve a top call. But the thing about it is when you're judging, what you'll find out when you're judging is if you ever judge something other that's been burnt, you understand, okay, if that thing's burnt and that was judged first and a judge don't know that he needs to truly clean his palate going to the next one or understanding the whole concept that it's going to truly clean the palate going to the next one or as a team turning in food and saying, man, I like something spicy. I don't put a lot of cayenne pepper to it. And I've done that. And you're going to basically kill the whole table. Right. It doesn't matter how good your food is, but if you follow that, it's going to kill the table. And that's not the judge's fault. That's right. not the team's fault. That's not that one person's fault. They turned their food in. It could have been judged last when nobody ever known it. So mm-hmm. I think you go as a whole with that. And then you understand the whole concept about the whole, every piece of the puzzle that makes you a better, better cook, better organizer, better judge, everything. And I mean, you've seen this down there in Swamp Fest. I had to judge cooking with me down there. Miss Jody just coming out there. Welcome to cook with me and just see what's going on. And appreciate your feedback. And Hopefully it's going to be beneficial to both of us. That's exactly right. And there's also kind of coming full circle here. I mean, there was, you know, down there at uh, Swamp Fest, there was the People's Choice, which I thought, you know, just from an organizing standpoint, I thought they did a really good job with that. You know, I know you you were out of food pretty quick. Of course, I understand why some teams don't like it. You know, I personally enjoy engaging with the public. I think having it after the final turn in was, was a great idea. Uh, you know, because we couldn't really leave anyway, because we were kind of stuck there on Main Street or or whatever. But well, let's go back to judging. Let's talk about some judging here, because there's a lot of folks lately that are chatting about a lot of a lot of a lot of really good. I think a lot of good constructive conversations. Personally, I mean, I, I know that some folks get get a little heated, uh, but most of the people I've talked to has been very constructive, and that's really what I want to try to do is have a constructive dialogue around it, and that is the. The judge seating program, which is, you know, again, that is that is a hot button issue uh, at the moment. And I think something that I'm hopeful that we can continue to have a constructive dialogue around. Right. I'm curious just from your take. Right. Because you have judged. You have been a cook. You have been an organizer. So really, you kind of done everything. Have you been a rep at all? I have not been a rep. No, I'm okay, not qualified well, for the rep. You got three of the four. Right. So, I mean, I guess my point is you're, you you have unique perspective that others may not, certainly more than myself. I've never been a judge. I've never organized a contest. So I'm curious just from your standpoint, you know, what in your mind is the correct path forward with this? Uh, and again, I know there's no right or wrong answers. I'm just curious to hear what, what your thoughts are about how that specific thing, you know, can be fixed and how we can, you know, move forward with something everybody can agree on. Well, I think one of the things that I would like the seating program myself when we had it in place. I like that reliability to that. So I'm going to say that straight off the board. I'm a fan of the seating program. I feel like it was good when it was used, and I feel like it would be good going back into it. However, what I will say is that what I think a lot of people don't understand is what makes the seating program successful. Mark Gibbs put together a program that was used, and it was a great program. But the same time is, what does it take to put the information in there from week to week to week to week that'll maintain that program to be right, maintain that, that system to be reliable? 
And and I think that's a question that nobody's really even even asked or know the answers to, because if it's something other to be inputting all this information in there, and and again, you got human factor into it. If it's automatic, where it's going to be automatically put into it, who's doing that program? What's the cost involved into it? Is the cost worthwhile? I mean, there's a lot of questions about that here that KCBS board of directors knows answers, knows behind the scenes of information we've never even thought of. And so I think there's a lot of the pieces to that puzzle that, again, we're looking at the world with blinders on. We're seeing the world with blinders on. Mm -hmm. And reality is we don't know the whole picture. And so until somebody can put together all the pieces to it and see the whole picture, we're reacting. We're just reacting to a situation. A lot of people are reacting to a situation. And I'm like, you don't react. You sit there and you make educated decisions based upon facts. When we're reacting, it's a knee-jerk reaction. And a lot of times those reactions are not the best for us in the long term. That's exactly right. I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I think the analogy is perfect. The blinders analogy. I mean, we, you get in the zone and you're only focused on your little slice of the pie. And I don't think that's anybody's fault. I just think that's, it just happens, you know, I mean, because that's what you're, that's what you're focusing on. And I don't even begin to understand the technical aspect, the IT aspect of how to even go about updating that information automatically. That's way well above uh, my pay grade, right? So that's, (laughs) you know, I think in principle, I'm like you and, you know, the concept you know, just on paper, yes, the concept to me makes a lot of sense. If ultimately it betters the sport of competitive barbecue and gets more people involved, backyard pro doesn't matter, then I think it's a win-win. But it's the, it's the minutia details, as you pointed out, that we don't really know much about. And frankly, I don't want to know. That's just not my wheelhouse. I don't, I'm not an IT guy. I don't claim to be. Um, I have no earthly idea how that could ever even be done, right? I'm sure there's someone somewhere that knows how to do that. Okay. I don't even begin to know that. And and I and I also like what you said about the fact that, you know, we are not privy. And of course, this is another, this is a whole nother rabbit trail here, but we're not, you know, we as teams are not necessarily privy to all of the board's conversations. We're only really privy to the, the board meeting minutes, which I've sat on many boards in my career. And there are certain things that have to go on the minutes and there are certain things that don't, you know, Absolutely. so- you know, that that's not as reliable as it as it would seem. And I think it's but I think I go back to what I said earlier, and that is, you know, having that open dialogue, you know, and I think the biggest and this again, third party perspective here. You know, I've cooked 12 KCBS comps, some GBAs, MBN, SCBAs. I don't pretend to know everything. One thing that does concern me, though, is when I continually see or hear or read that there's not really much communication between the teams and the board on this specific subject. Now, do I do I know that to be fact? I don't. That's just what I read and hear. If that is true, then I think that is a cause for some concern if there's no communication because in my in my mind anytime there's anytime any sort of 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 governing entity regardless of what it is, barbecue, you name it, anytime there's 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 a break in communication deliberately maybe, right? that can be an issue. And I think that's, at least in my uneducated opinion, that's a big issue, I think, that, that is, you know, getting, getting some of the teams uh, concerned and, and, you know, feel like they need to voice their opinion. So what I would say about that is right now, our board is a pretty heavy cook-oriented board, cook, 
heavy board right now. So there's a lot of cook teams on the board and it's more than years past. So I don't know the communication side of it. I've never had a problem talking with the board, calling the board up and have a conversation with the board members. If I have any questions, whatever, I've never not answered my phone call or never not responded to my emails. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had any type of issues with the communication side of it. Not saying it's not out there, but again, I'm saying I don't know that that side of it. Again, I'd have to say, let's look at the facts. I mean, if it's somebody that's saying it's miscommunication, well, they're not liking me answer, then <laughs> right. it is what <laughs> yeah. I mean. I don't know what to tell you with that one. That's something that's something entirely different, no doubt. <laughs> so, or it might be the situation that they're saying that we're trying to get the information together. And the thing about this is everybody understand one thing. KCBS is volunteers. They do a lot of work. And I ran for KCBS board at one time. So I kind of seen a lot of that information when I was just the information coming. I was just even running for the board. I wasn't even elected, but I was running for the board. So all that information coming there. So a decision's not made. Hey, you need to make the decision. Okay, get off the phone. Hey, we make the decision. Okay, get off the phone. It doesn't work that way. Right. They meet once a week, once a month, or twice a month, whatever it is, and you're discussing it. And somebody else has, well, this is my perspective. Okay, well, then that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about your perspective, so let's look at it. We're going to postpone to this next month. Then you come to the next month, and everybody kind of breaks upon there, talk about the perspectives, what they had. And then you're saying, does this deserve a vote, or is this something other that we're going to create more chaos going down the line? Right. And so I think there's a lot of other pieces to that puzzle sure. than just saying, I'm going to call you and voice my complaint, and then we're going to have it. So I think that's some merit to it. Now, do I feel like anything can be improved on? Absolutely. I mean, I'm a board member for the GBC right now, Georgia Barbecue Championship. And so I see the board, and we try to do things. But again, as a member, what are we doing to help out the situation? Not necessarily calling the board and asking problems, but we asked, you said something earlier about growing our sport getting it back to where it was during the barbecue stuff. Right. All right. How many times have you come over and encouraged somebody else to come out and just do a competition on their own or go be a judge or, yeah. Hey, let's just get these other ones together or better yet, get to know the judges. And we've done this here at a house a couple of times, do a frostbuster prior to the season started, come out here and get some judges come over to the house and let's get two or three teams cook together and give them food and get to know those judges. That's and right. Therefore, they do it or go to a contest. And you got a judge walking by, talk to them, ask them how it was the food or whatever, and just have a conversation, know their name. And I think that's the thing about it is because one of the pieces here that just so disconnecting from the communication, I'm going to talk more of communication between the teams and the judges, not the teams in KCBS. I'm going to say from a one-on-one, -on -one, our judge, we can control that. Absolutely. 100%. We can control that. So if you go to a contest and you see a judge walking by, number one, you got to understand something. You're in, my example, I'm in the big trailer. I got the doors closed. This person not coming on, knocking on the door. Hey, what's your name? I'm so-and-so. They're not going to do that. Heck, I wouldn't do that. But if I'm out there and I see them and I go up to them and say, hey, how you doing today? Shake your hand. I'm, I'm Jason Hardy. What's your name? Get to know them. I mean, know who their wife is or their husband is or whatever, but just get to know who they are. You create relationships. Next time you get a contest, guess what they're going to do? They're going to knock on that door. And they're going to want to have a conversation with you. And at some point in time, they might come in there and cook with you. So you've created this communication situation. And so when you have a question about, hey, chicken, I'm going to call up this judge and be, hey, give me your ideas on this. What do you think about this? Yeah. Perfect example. At the contest at Swamp Fest, I cooked chicken, um, 
chicken wings. All intentions of turning chicken wings. Because I was playing around that contest. My whole goal in that contest was to try some new recipes and just try some different stuff. And so Jody was cooking with me, was judged with me. And so I had these chicken wings, but I had the thighs and the drumettes together with the bees. I said, that'd be really cool to turn in there. But she told me, she said, the problem is you can't get it and wash your hands between entries, between categories. You don't have time. And so if you get this big chicken wing like this, and it's got a lot of sauce on it, and it's so sloppy, and it makes a mess, you can't wash your hands, it's going to be hard for you to judge you and anybody following you. Mm-hmm. So to me, didn't cross my mind. But she told me that information, so now I know going forward, I don't need to do that. Right. Another great point, and that is just it just comes down to building those relationships, making those connections, introducing yourself and getting to know people better and understanding their perspective. And I also think, you know, just sitting here listening to you, I mean, you've really inspired me to seriously consider becoming a judge and judging myself just so I can understand what's going on, you know, inside that tent, because I don't, I don't have a clue, you know, and I'm not going to pretend like I do. um, But I do think it would be, you know, important. Uh, and I think it would be helpful if the majority of teams would would judge a contest or two. I'm not saying they got to become, you know, master judges, but you know, judge a contest or two, get an idea of what's actually going on, and really just walk a mile, so to speak, in their shoes to get a, just a better idea of okay, what's actually happening here. Because you alluded to it earlier, you didn't really say it, but alluded to it, and that is, we can make phone calls and we can send text messages and Facebook posts and all this other stuff is it really going to enact any change or, or, or move the football forward? Probably not. I mean, it's going to get folks fired up for a day or two and, you know, then life gets in the way, like we all know, and they just kind of, you know, go about their way. And I think it's, if you have those relationships, if you have those open lines of communication, like you talked about, I think it just makes it that much easier to pick up the phone and say, Hey, give me your thoughts on this. Tell me what's going on here what do you think about this i think that's i think that's spot on i really do and i'm serious man i'd never even considered uh, judging but this conversation right here uh you've inspired me to look into it you know i i'm not gonna say i'm gonna be a master judge but you know judge a few judge a few contests and learn to and learn what the flavor profiles judge are looking for i mean it makes a lot of sense one thing i will say a couple couple notes on this though is as a cook team going there and judging contests one thing you gotta understand you're not tasting it and judging based on your flavor. You're based upon what that uh, turn-in team's intent was. But a lot of times, teams can be really harsh judges because they want – I say, I want it to taste like mine, taste like this. That's not the mm-hmm. goal. The goal is to appreciate what they're doing and see if the, ba- the flavor's balanced and it's what, they, what they're trying to intent is. Because I think that's a lot of time from a ju- cook's perspective, we like, my brisket tastes like this. I want to taste everybody else's brisket that tastes like mine. No, your goal on there is to, number one – judge it for what it is number two is what is winning if yours ain't winning what's winning what's so i right? think that's something other to do with that the other thing i would say on there to good communication with kcbs is i don't know if a lot of people know this but kcbs has got subcommittees so they've got these committees in here the board of directors are chairs of judges or cook teams or organizers or whatever else and i don't know all the committees but they have subcommittees and you are as a member you're able to go sign up and be part of those committees and so when you're part of those committees, you can have a direct communication on this stuff. And so the question I'm going to ask somebody else is if I know that Kurt is on the subcommittee and he's putting on the effort to work to make sure this thing's successful, and he calls up this person with a concern, is this person going to be willing to truly listen to that concern? And I'm not saying they don't, but I'm just going to say is, 
if you know this person's always there to help, always there to work, always there to show up, and he brings you a point of concern, then it might have a little more merit to it than somebody you don't ever hear from except when the world's burning down. Yep. Amen, man. I mean, that's, it, like I said, it, if you got those relationships and you genuinely care about, you know, bettering the sport, bettering everybody around you, then I think you can't lose. It's when people, it's when those communication lines are not there, people, you know, rumors start flying and it just, it's not, it's not helpful. It's not constructive. Nothing gets done. Um, and that's why I think it's important that we do continue to talk about this and, and get a better understanding of all these different perspectives, judges, reps, you know, you name it, right? Because that's ultimately like what helps us all better understand a, a day, you know, a day in the life of, of their, you know, walking in their shoes, so to speak. So yeah, I think you're, you're spot on and, and, and I'm dead serious about uh, judging. I'm going to make a note to look up what I need to do there and, and, you know, throw my hat in the ring to just, cause I want to better understand it. Right. I don't. It's a lot of fun. It's interesting to see all that. It's really cool. Absolutely. So again, our listeners, we're chatting with uh, Jason Hardy. He's out of Conway, South Carolina, pitmaster and owner of Elite Barbecue Smokers. Make sure you check him out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube. He's got a great YouTube channel. He's got a barbecue roundtable show. It airs at 8.30 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night on Facebook. Uh, it's a great stuff. He's got some great guests on there week after week. So make sure you check him out there and support him. And Jason, we appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the conversation, sir. Hey, pleasure mine. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to The Barbecue Life. Share this episode with a buddy who loves barbecue or is just starting to get into it. Follow us for more on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Talk to you next time. Keep calm and smoke on.